Well, I thank you, and it is good to be here. It's a whole lot better to be here than in a good hospital. I'm here because I wanted to come. I felt like the Lord wanted me to come. And uh, you will be asking me, and I will tell you now, I feel fine. I must tell you a story about that. It will help you to feel fine. <clears throat> the farmer was moving his favorite cow from one pasture to another, and since they had to cross a major thoroughfare, he carried her in the, in the back of his pickup. So here came the road, down the road, the farmer and his favorite cow, Bossy. And he was a little careless in the uh, intersection and was broadsided by another vehicle, which threw Bossy into one ditch and him into another ditch. The investigating officer came along and uh, went through all the necessities, and the farmer allowed as to how nothing was wrong. But it became obvious that uh, he did have some pretty serious problems later on. So he um, made a claim against the insurance company, and they refused him. He took them to court, and in court the attorney uh, got him on the witness stand and knew that he had the case closed if the farmer would answer correctly. So he said, Sir, is it not right that you were broadsided in the intersection? And uh, the investigating officer asked you the question, uh, how are you feeling? And you said, I feel fine. Now answer yes or no. The farmer said, well, you see, sir, uh, Bossy and I were coming down the road, I in the front and she in the back. The lawyer said, I want an answer, yes or no. Did you or did you not say, I feel fine, when asked the question, how are you doing? He said, well, you see, we were coming down the road, Bossy and I, she in the back and I in the front. And he said, sir, I'm asking you to answer the question. He turned in desperation to the judge, and the judge uh, was implored by the lawyer, have my witness to answer directly my question, yes or no. And so the judge uh, gave instruction. And the lawyer one more time said, now, sir, is it correct? Yes or no? Did you say to the investigating officer, I feel fine when asked of your welfare? The old farmer said, well, you see, Bossy and I were coming down the road, and she in the back and I in the... And the lawyer, in total exasperation, turned to the judge and said, Judge, please make him answer the question. The judge said, well, let's let him, uh, it seems germane to him, let's let him speak. And so the farmer said, well, sir, you see, it was like this. Bossy and I were coming down the road, I in the front and she in the back, and I wasn't watching well in the intersection, and we were broadsided, and Bossy wound up in one ditch and I in another ditch. So the investigating officer came along and first went over to Bossy. Bossy wasn't doing well. He shot her. And when he came and asked me, and how are you doing, I said, I feel fine. <laughs> so I want you to know today, I feel fine. 
And how are you doing? Good. I like to hear it. It does give new light in the situation when you look at the mitigating circumstances. And I want you to know I feel fine. On Monday night I was stricken with uh, constant pain. How many uh, Kidney Stone Fellowship members are here today? Would you raise your hand? We'll have a meeting right after this session. I've already noted a few lithotripters in the crowd. How many lithotripters in the crowd? A few? I, well, not many. I already run into a couple. Uh-huh. That's ahead of me in a couple of weeks. I read in the Bible where it came to pass, <laughs> and I, I wish that were true of my kidney stone, but in this case it will come to explode. I've already been asked at least uh, three times about my book on um, which being interpreted means. I have some very sad news. I, uh, <clears throat> I made a uh, proposition to my publishers, and lo and behold was I shocked to receive my first rejection in 23 years. And the, the letter read something like this, you are far too serious an author uh, to publish a book like this. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to do it myself and I, I just, I'm going to do everything to meet this promise if I have to do it myself next year. I'm discovering more, by the way. I, uh, I, uh, if you're not acquainted, I'm doing this book on which being interpreted means, which is a glossary of terms for Christians. I found out that the world doesn't know what we're talking about, so it needs it. We don't know what each other's talking about, so we need it. We don't know what we're talking about ourselves, so everybody needs it. <laughs> and so it will be my contribution to improving Christian conversation, seeking to get Christians to uh, say what they mean and mean what they say. It'll be a little more shocking, but it will, uh, we'll get to the point more quickly. Um, I'm intrigued especially with what people say to preachers. Uh, preacher, you're a real star. You ever heard that? Our pastor's a real star, which being interpreted means I just read where a star is a self-contained mass of gas. <laughs> <clears throat> we just love our pastor because he's so transparent which being interpreted means he's so transparent we haven't seen him for three months. <laughs> I, I suppose the one that's standard is, uh, Pastor, your sermons are like manna to me, which being interpreted means they're dull and dry and tasteless, <laughs> and I'm sick and tired of them, and they rot after 24 hours. <laughs> well, that's what manna is. And, It's wonderful to laugh. I want us to be praying for one another. I really feel that uh, I appreciate so much. I, we got in on most of Peter's message last night. And I appreciate the tone that was set for serious knowledge of God, for to know him is to love him, and to love him is to serve him. There is a factor that I want to discuss today, and I'm not sure, but that I'll be discussing it again. 
a factor that has almost been forgotten as far as a, an issue to address in the body of Christ. I was uh, on TBN some time ago, probably three years ago now, and uh, there were two of us on. One was a great healing evangelist for whom I have always had profound respect and more after I got personally acquainted with him. And uh, I sat there as uh, I listened to him for an hour and a half extol the power of God to heal. He has a powerful ministry in the third world countries with hundreds of thousands of people gathering and many thousands of them healed. And I was shocked as I perused the subject that uh, God had given me to discuss that night. And so as he and Ben Kinchlow, the interviewer, moderator, host, I, I marveled and enjoyed the whole session. And uh, when we got on the uh, interview stand and we sat down and cameras were tuned on Ben, he said, well, Jack, what are we going to discuss tonight? I said, pain. He said, say what? I said, pain. And we began to talk about pain, or rather I did. And uh, about 15 minutes before the end of the interview, the light of God pierced his heart. And he got excited. He said, is this hot or what? He said, you must come again. We must share this. And I was a bit taken back, and have been, at how little we discuss how much we hurt. And before we're through today, I'm going to have you get honest about where you are. I had not been here very many minutes until it was obvious from what folks were saying, this has been a tough time, a tough year. I'm hurting and others are hurting. Walk just a minute with a pastor this morning, church difficulty. I've never known as much pain in the body of Christ. And the tragedy is deepened by the fact that there seems to be so little discussion of it if anything, a shame about it, which complicates it, for pain must be listened to, responded to, treated. Adaptations must be made. If not, then leaving it alone will cause it to worsen. I want you, before I just go through a series of statements that I really feel like are pertinent for our time together just to get your Bible. And let's first just walk through the Scripture to legitimize, to legitimize, to make logical the discussion. I'm going to get the word. To legitimize the issue of suffering. I heard Bob Mumford say last year, for 35 years, we've been a part of a movement that by and large has all but erased the issue of suffering from its consideration. 
And there is, as a result, the strong wreckage of lives in the midst of pain that did not know themselves how to respond and were a part of a body that did not know how to respond. Let me say to you, it is a deep and deepening conviction that as the body of Christ comes into its own to take the opportunity to seize the day, it must learn about the issue of pain of every kind. Respond to it properly. Minister in the midst of it and go on. I want you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. It was a painful time for the children of Israel, 400 years and more in Egyptian bondage. That suffering was not alleviated when they crossed the borders of the sea, nor as they came into the land. Chapter 8, Deuteronomy. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years. Remember how he led you. There was pain, there was distress. There were enemies of uh, varying sorts. But now the purpose in retrospect is given to humble you, to test you, in order to know what was in your heart. Now that was not only that God might know, God knows already, but that you might know whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God, disciplines you. And all through the book, there is the discipline of God. There are pains of every kind. In reading the Psalms, there is a very veritable catalog of pain and suffering. Listen to some of them. Let's look for a moment at chapter 41 and 42. Psalm 41, 42. The fellowship of suffering is a large fellowship. The psalmist in 41 talked about his enemies in verse 7, whispering against me. In uh, chapter 42, verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? An unvindicated faith caused pain. And then in his, in, his, in his own self, he said, verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Three times you find that in three chapters. The next verse, My soul is downcast within me. 
Verse 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? Verse 5 of chapter 43, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Disturbed within me. Then in chapter 55, I'm skipping many, you're aware. Listen to 55. Verse 4, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Uh, we'd want David to get counseling today, wouldn't we? You need to see my pastor. You need to go to our counselor. And you know this story. If an enemy were insulting me in verse 12, he said, I could endure it. If a foe was raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship. And we, as we walked in the throng at the house of God, how many of you today suffer from the wounds of a friend? Look at 6929. He just outright says it. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. Turn over to 2 Corinthians for just a moment. And you're aware that it would be impossible in a brief time to cover all of the chapters and all of the verses that regard the issue of, uh, of words that pertain to pain, distress and anguish and rejection and fear and trembling and suffering and sorrow and grief. Listen to 2 Corinthians as Paul speaks in chapter 3 of verse 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. But just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Keep turning on over, if you will, to the book of uh, Hebrews. Hebrews 12. Great cloud of witnesses looking upon us. But then look at verse 11. Verse 10, our Father disciplines us for a while, our fathers as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a fruit of righteousness and peace for those 
who have been trained by it. One of the most significant books of our generation was written by a great thinker by the name of Paul Bilheimer. Paul wrote the book, Destined for the Throne. I happened to find out where he lived shortly after the book hit the best-selling list. Billy Graham wrote the introduction. If you haven't read it, in my estimation, you've missed the greatest book on prayer of its size in our generation. And so I called him. Since I was through Atlanta often, I said, I, I'm coming through and I'd like for you to meet me. He was a very sick man, very weak. And uh, he met me with a friend who had brought him to the airport. He had with him the unpublished manuscript to a book under the title, Don't Waste Your Sorrows. Everybody who has endured or who is enduring hardship ought to read the book, Don't Waste Your Sorrows. His thesis is as direct and definite as his thesis of prayer, as on-the-job training for reigning. Suffering being that process by which God is walking us through disciplines which are defining for us, according to our response to it, the rank of our rule in God's eternal scheme. It is a fantastic book. You and I need to understand suffering. Now let me just make some statements, and you'll pardon me if I read some of them. I want them to be so succinct. God could have easily created us without pain receptors, but one of the most sophisticated systems in our bodies is that combination of cells translated into chemical and electrical code which is conveyed to the brain where meaning or interpret, uh, interpretation is assigned. We are enjoined again and again to behold the body of Christ as illustrated and defined by the body of a human being. This is the body of Christ, as your body is the body bearing your name. Keep that in mind as we walk through some of this truth. While all the functions of the human body are efficient, none is more powerful or insistent than that of sensing pain. Pain can suddenly explode and all pleasure signals are turned aside and the whole being preoccupied with pain. The alarm system can sound and change the entire course of plans. I preached on Sunday morning in my church, Peter Lord's church. He is my pastor. I go a couple of times a year. All the other time he comes down and collects the tithe and goes back. But I was to be in a conference there, delighted with the opportunity, preaching with Alan Vincent and to the people I love there at Park Avenue. But I'd been sensing some pain in my abdomen, a very familiar pain, since I've been in the stone manufacturing business for more than 25 years. <laughs> and I knew what it was and made the suggestion, instead of staying Sunday after preaching, that I should go down and get a good night's rest and, and be back on Monday. My pain was intermittent on Monday night 
And when pain would come, I'd simply get in a bath of scalding water and uh, there would be some relief. About 5.30 to 6 o'clock, the pain became absolutely dominant. Not another thing was in my mind. Everything else ex was exploded out of it. And for the greater part of the next five hours, I knew nothing but pain. All of my body was integrated in seeking to service that pain. There was no such thing as denial in any part of my being. I was an integrated human being. You ask my finger, how are things? We're hurting. My toe, we're hurting. I don't think I thought that hair could uh, hurt, but every hair of my head said, we're hurting. I'm a stubborn man. I don't uh, respond to pain well, but I've had enough of it that I'm stubborn about it. I don't want to go to a hospital. My wife began to plead me with me, and within a couple of hours, we ought to go to the hospital. I said, no. I'd get in the water and make it hotter and, and, and hurt and moan and groan and, and uh, ultimately gave up. I began to uh, experience vomiting myself, which I've experienced only about a half a dozen times in my life, and it's time to go to the hospital when I do. Went to the hospital, 124 cases of emergency in 24 hours, and I was about number 15 in line. <clears throat> and the nurse could tell by the look on my face that I was in anguish. She took one more run down the hall, lined with uh, beds and wheelchairs and hurting people. She said, I'm going to have to put you in the hall in a wheelchair. I didn't say anything, but my eyes must have said a great deal as she looked into them. She said, well, I'll take one more trip. She found an empty bed in the trauma room. I thought to myself, that's the best place in the world for me right now. I am in trauma. I sat on that bed for two and a half hours with no relief. The alarm system sounded and all else went out the window. And let me tell you something. While I'm saying this, the body of Christ is having pains. We're trying to do a little more work, have a few more conferences, say a few more words, but it's time to listen to pain. All the parts of our body are guarded over by pain receptors, each varying in nature according to the function. Isn't that interesting? Your eyes can get a flick of sand or the, 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 just the slightest little foreign issue and uh, it stops the whole matter. While other places of your body can have all sorts of dirt and, and nothing matters, there are, uh, there are sections of the body of Christ matching this. And uh, it seems that the more complicated the function, the more sensitive to pain. Pain is a whisper in its early stages. It speaks aloud as danger increases and shouts when danger becomes severe. I'm saddened and shocked. I don't know that it's that I'm getting older or that it's getting more frequent. But seldom does a week passes but that, I don't, but that I do not hear of another fallen preacher. People are falling. I'm thinking that 
A fall has to do with pain. And often a fall is the result of a sudden warning that if you go on in this direction, worse damage is going to occur. One has defined a step as a stumble caught in time. It would seem to me if the church understands the pain warning of a fall, it could catch the fallen before worse damage is done. Nothing in the human body unifies it like pain. Let me say it in another way. The more normal we are, the more sensitive to pain we become. A body possesses unity only to the degree that it senses pain. It will retain that unity only as long and as efficiently as it is able to detect and respond to pain. We've come to a day in the church when we don't want the hurting. We want the well. We don't want the poor. We want those who can contribute. We don't want the indigent. We want those who are independent. Pain quickly noted and properly responded to generally initiates processes which will eventuate in the healing of the organism and the forming of scar tissue which is stronger than the tissue before the wound. Pain denied, disregarded, or improperly or inadequately responded to will eventuate or at least likely continue the process which may eventuate in death. It is absolute. It is absolutely inevitable that there be pain. Many of you are in pain. Many of you have yet to admit it. You say, well, what's the future in admitting it? Well, ask your toe, ask your hand, ask your heart, ask your kidney. Are you going to tell your toe, now look, you're way down there. When there's something wrong, don't bother me with it. You'll walk on that toe until you cause a blister until you cause a lesion, until you, until you walk with a limp the rest of your life. We must encourage the body of Christ to be open about its pain. We generally do not desire that because we don't have a working understanding of it. By the way, one of the greatest works on the subject of emotional pain has been done, or several works, has been done by Barbara Johnson. She is a woman who knows well the matter of pain. Her eldest son was killed in Vietnam. Her next son, preparing for the ministry, was killed in a tragic accident on his way back to prepare for the ministry from a summer away. Her third son, whom she had a special connection with, announced that he was homosexual and 
absolutely renounced the family and left. Her husband had a tragic accident, and it looked for general purposes as if he'd spend his life in a vegetative state. But instead of giving up to pain, Barbara Johnson decided to fight back. And so the first book she wrote was Misery is, uh, Pain is Inevitable, Misery is Optional, so stick a geranium in your hat and be happy. I love some of her chapter titles. She said, it always gets darkest just before it turns totally black. <laughs> she said again in another chapter, I feel so much better now that I've given up hope completely. <laughs> While these are silly titles, as you read them, you're aware that here is a human being who has met the worst of pain and bested it through the perspective of the Word of God. She has been real. Her next book was Splashes of Joy in the Cesspools of Life. Her latest book, as far as I know, is put all your gloomies in a great big box and sit on the lid and laugh. She said in one of the chapters of one of her books, my mother is the travel agent on my guilt trip. <laughs> one of the things in the midst of pain we need to know is to laugh. When finally they came to me after laying on the stretcher for two and a half hours, my wife tells me, seemed to me like three days. They gave me morphine. Ah, blessed morphine. <laughs> and it overrode the pain for a while, short while. Now this is a scientific fact proved in the university, in a, in a California university, that laughter secretes a substance that is much like manufactured morphine. It overrides pain. I remember when lying in the bed in Little Rock, Arkansas, really with about a 10 to 15 percent chance to live, but I found out later, if I'd have known my chances, I might have capitulated. <laughs> but I remember distinctly one morning I'd, I'd sort of developed a well, I'll tell you about a sermon I'm going to preach in a minute. I mean, I'm not going to preach it in a minute. I'm going to tell you about it in a minute. <clears throat> my wife was three floors below with a breakdown, and my church was uh, being split in the seams. My son was under attack, and I was dying. My, uh, the pastor with whom I was in a meeting when my uh, illness came, walked in, and I said, well, my wife's down below going bananas. My son's under attack. The church is falling apart, and I'm dying. What a time to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> I understood a little bit, and I've appreciated it ever since. The old Quaker who said one day to the Lord, in the discipline of honesty. Lord, I'm not amazed that you have as few friends as you have. <laughs> From the way you treat the few you've got. 
I felt like that. I've tried to be honest with God since I found out He knew already how I felt. I might as well let it be open. I had some interesting conversations with God about that. I find that God doesn't leave you when you're hurting. In fact, one day I asked him, why, why do you seem so far away? It's amazing how God answers and makes you feel so stupid. The first, he said, I, I'm never any closer than when I seem farthest. And then he added a little humorous bit. He said, uh, by the way, how could I be very far away when I'm everywhere? I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> now listen. A person who never has pain or denies it as if it is not supposed to exist will lose a normal sense of personal unity and will lose a sense of fellowship with others. The health of the human body is noted by how well it senses pain. This is a book about pain, not its denial, but dealing with it. It is about a Savior who was real, who endured pain, not to bring us to the place where we could escape it, but to bring us to the place where we could walk through it with victory. The body of Christ in America, seemingly blessed with years of ease and prosperity, has all but lost the capacity to sense the pain of a world. And even with those in earshots of the church, it is to a large degree adopted a defensive theology which implies that as long as we're right with God, everything will be fine pain should not be, and thus having pain is a shame and should not be tolerated. Those in pain then are looked upon in such a way as to be made to feel as second-class citizens without enough faith to get by without struggle. In many, the pain of such perception is worse than the pain itself. This often includes those who are hurting in the rejection of racism, homosexuals, divorcees, the aliens in our land, the poor. When somebody fails, the church wants to hide them from view. That's not a good advertisement. The body poorly protects what it cannot feel. And I want to tell you what I'm absolutely convinced of. God is moving today to try to restore the sensitivity to the pain receptors of the church. And right now, we're not doing too well. Just feeling sorry for one another. Not able to detect properly or deal responsively with our own pain, we have little sympathy for one another's. So much of the sorrow in our world today 
is due to the selfishness of one living organism that does not care about the suffering of another. We've forgotten that we are one great human family, not children of God by, being, by right of being in that family, but one human family. And all over the world, though divided by sea in most cases, there is suffering that we do not feel. We watch it, but we are strangely detached. We want little part of it. We hasten back to the comfort of our own homes and our own well-padded pews. I have a deep conviction that God is going to cure that. And the quicker you and I can properly respond, the better. I want to remind you that it was such racism that caused a man later to become a great spiritual leader of 400 million people to turn from Christianity. A young spiritual seeker sought to attend a missionary meeting over which the great missionary C.F. Andrews was to preside. The young seeker was turned away because his skin was a little too dark. He soon thereafter rejected Christianity, saying, I think, after studying the life of Christ extensively, I think I would have become a Christian if I could have found one and went on to become the spiritual leader of 400 million Hindus, Mahatmas Gandhi. E. Stanley Jones said of him, racism has many sins to bear, perhaps, but perhaps none greater than that of obscuring Christ, listen to it, obscuring Christ in an hour when one of the greatest souls born of woman was making his decision. We must learn to sense pain and respond to it in any part, in every part of the body. We do not have pain just to cause discomfort. Your body is not in rebellion when it hurts. The members in your church that are acting in a manner that can only be described as coming out of great pain are not trying to cause problems. They're trying to get the attention of the life of the body. Once the attention is gained, the response is often as simple as an adaptation. Or, let's put it this way, one of the reasons for pain noted is for the purpose of stress distribution. We have isolated our leaders, we've put them on pedestals, And then we take pot shots at them when they misbehave. When they begin to limp, we condemn them. But we all must learn to limp. Pain will generally worsen until it is responded to. 
If it is not listened to at first, it will persist. As it persists, it will intensify, and generally the symptoms may change, but they will not fade until there is response. Allow yourself to limp. Allow your leaders to limp. Pain is the hallmark of mortality. Everybody who is alive has it. Don't deny it. Your leaders are not supermen. They may be humanly strong enough by your demand to last for years, but collapse will be the result. Right now, on the body of Christ, there is stress. Blisters at first are the body's way of trying to protect itself. It actually calls, calls the forces in to try to soften the wear in that area. And if it persists, then that blister breaks and there is a sore. The body of Christ is being weakened by many times needless wear, accusative words. Instead of being a healing network, sensing pain and dispensing grace, what was said of the king in the Old Testament should be said of the corporate body today. Listen to it. And I preface it by saying this, never to my knowledge have so many people throughout the world been knowledgeably hurting. And never in the world, never in the history of time, has there been a greater opportunity for someone with the answer to be heard? I sat for a few minutes with a man Sunday who said in the Muslim world the Muslims are becoming totally exasperated in the rank and file with the radicals. They're going to turn somewhere. They're hurting. They're hopeless. They're futile. If Christ is not obscured and a body of Christ that is in touch with itself, integrated by sensing pain and dispensing grace, we'll see the greatest revival in any ethnic group in the history of civilization among the Muslims. It is said of a king, he did that which was right, and so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. And then God asks, Is that not what it means to know me? Declares the Lord. Did you hear that? He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. Folks, I want to tell you to know him is to love him, but to know him is to be committed to the pains of the world. But alas, we must face our own. Just this and I close. Every great follower of Christ is a great sufferer. I needn't remind you of that. 
There was no greater sufferer than Paul. Paul, Paul presents us a catalog of suffering in 2 Corinthians 12. You know the story. We'll not read it. But Paul confronts us with an episode in his life. It's obvious as we read it along that at first it is so otherworldly, so holy, that he remarks of it in the third person. He speaks of himself as somebody else. And when he does shift, he says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Now, I don't know what your theological version of that is. I don't care what it is. He was hurting. I mean, can we agree on that? He was hurting. His whole being cried a multiple of times, Lord, take this thing away from me. Do you know what he meant? Have you been there? Lord, I could go on if it weren't for this. I'm riveted to this. Please deliver me. And Paul says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. There was given me a thorn in the flesh. Who do you think gave it to him? Oh, the devil did. No, the devil didn't. If the devil had, God would have taken it away immediately. There was given me a thorn in the flesh. And in the midst of that plea, Paul recognized, lest I be exalted above measure. In the consequence, the magnitude of that which I'd heard. And I heard this, and the Lord said, my grace, help me, is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. God is seeking to bring the church to weakness. If we suffer <clears throat> from one thing more than any, it is too much strength and too much trust in our own strength. <clears throat> who were walking along remarking the wealth of the Roman church. One said to the other, Ah, we no longer have to say, Silver and gold have I none. And the sad response of the other, But no longer are we able to say, But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Our wealth, our abilities, our strengths have precluded his. And I notice how quickly Paul changes his course. From crying a multiple of times, the English says thrice, the Greek suggests a multiple of times, a limitless number of times. Suddenly changes hearing from God. God says, Paul, my grace is all you need. My strength is perfected in your weakness. And Paul says, well, if that's the case, I'll glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For I take pleasure in reproaches, necessities, persecutions, oppositions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And something tells me 
that whether or not you go away from this conference changed or just temporarily touched may well depend on your ability to acknowledge. I'm hurting. I need grace. Then there will come, through your understanding, a ministry of comfort as you yourself are comforted. I want to pray for you. I really believe that God has anointed me to bless you today. And I will speak over you that blessing. And others will join me. Some of you are suffering physically. I have an immediate understanding of that. Unlike me, some of you suffer chronically in pain. I have but a passing understanding of that. It may be God's pleasure to heal you. That would be wonderful. It may be God's pleasure to strengthen you with every revelation of pain, to be made a stalwart like few others, to minister in the midst of it. Allow God to have his way. Some of you are suffering from mental anguish, from rejection, from a chemical imbalance, from dashed dreams, pain in the family, loss of self-esteem due to the explosion in the situation. I have an idea that if you took the words of Paul in that closing part of the passage when, Saul, when, when Paul said, I delight in infirmities, and reproaches, and necessities, and oppositions, and distresses, that if you were to put those across the top of a page, you could not think of anything you have or ever will experience that cannot be categorized under one of those. And so if he can delight in it, so can you. And come to the revelation, when I am weak, then I'm strong. How many of you today say, Preacher, I hurt. Maybe physical, it may be emotional, it may be spiritual, it may be spiritual uh, disappointment, maybe a, a family hurt. Then a tough time. I want to bless you today. And if you can say, today I'm hurting, I bring to this conference hurts. I want to open myself to the blessings of God. I want you to stand up. Many of you are seated because you've been through your great hurt. Some of you are seated because you haven't got there yet. I need to talk to you a minute. Just hang around. It'll get to you. 
You may have sat there saying, well, this sermon doesn't mean a thing to me. I have invested in your future. Get a tape of it and set it nearby. One of these days, you're going to need it. You're going to wake up and the lights will be out and you will need to play the tape. And all of you can pray for these, so just reach around or reach out to them or touch them. Surely not enough left to touch everybody. Touch each other. Touch each other. Touch each other. I want you to look into my eyes as best you can see. I want to bless you. I know what it is to suffer. I may not know what it is to suffer as much as some of you, but I want to bless you. I want to tell you that God is with you in your suffering. And I want to speak over you these words. Let there be light in your darkness. Let there be perspective in your pain. Let there be definition in your confusion. Let there be comfort in the midst of your distress. May the comfort with which you are now being comforted flow through you to others to make you a comforting minister. Now hear this. We have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens for us, suffered in our behalf, so that we may come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I say to you, grace to you. There's plenty to go around. Receive his grace. Would you say it now, Father? On this occasion, for this time in my life, I receive mercy. I find grace. I thank you that there's plenty of it. Your grace is all I really need. Thank you for my helplessness. I delight in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Hallelujah. Now, Lord, I pray that these hours of the conference will not just be added truth and added truth until we gorge ourselves with truth, but may we be able to assimilate it into the cells of our spiritual being. Go away from this conference, strong, weak folks, and weak, strong folks, knowing that from you comes our strength, knowing that the, that the, the flesh of any kind cannot be trusted. And so bless with anointing every preacher, every moment of praise, every prayer meeting, every word of announcement, we receive your anointing to accept and understand enough of the truth to be changed. You are great and greatly to be praised. Your riches are unsearchable, your ways past tracing out. For of you, to you, and through you, 
are all things to whom be glory forever, time without end. Now I want you to praise him for that time of difficulty you're in. Just open your mouth and thank him. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for choosing me to bear your sufferings, to finish that which is lacking of the sufferings of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.